You are listening to the World of Higher Education podcast, Season 2, Episode 14. Hello, everyone. I'm Alex Usher, and this is the World of Higher Education podcast. One of the most striking global political stories of 2023 was the presidential election in Argentina, where a relative newcomer, Javier Mille, with a mixed set of right-wing and libertarian views, was elected to the presidency with a relatively large margin in the second round of voting on the 19th of November. At one level, the defeat of the ruling Peronist party was not surprising, given the country's general state of economic malaise and inflation running at well over 100% annually. And yet at the same time, Millet certainly looks like a big change for the country. Millet's plan for economic recovery involves a lot of deregulatory shock therapy, perhaps as strong as any such plan anywhere since the Asian crisis of the late 1990s. But in addition to this, Millet promised a bonfire of government ministries, including the ministries of culture, health, labor, and education. He's also amused about cutting subsidies entirely to the school and university systems and replacing them with some kind of voucher system. Unlike most of the continent, Argentina's higher education system is pretty much all public and free. The effect that such a move would have on Argentina's universities is difficult to imagine. It's not an exaggeration to say that how things play out in the country over the next 12 months could be one of the biggest stories in world higher education in 2024. The question is, does Mille actually mean to go through with all this, or is it just all loose anarcho-capitalist banter? With me today is Marcelo Robosi, a professor of higher education policy and management at the Universidad Torcuato di Tella in Buenos Aires. Over the course of this conversation, he guides us through the ins and outs of the country's public and private university systems, provides insight into previous attempts to introduce tuition fees in the system, and reflects on the deep conservatism in the sense of resistance to change that exists within Argentina's universities. Partly as a result of this, Marcelo is somewhat skeptical that having Mille's reforms will work out as intended. But, as he says towards the end of the interview, the underlying economic crisis in the country is at least as big a threat to the economic livelihood of universities and researchers as Milai's plans, and that in the end, the president's educational legacy might rest to a considerable extent on the degree to which his macroeconomic reforms end up providing a healthy and stable economy that can support a thriving higher education system. But enough from me. Let's hear from Marcelo. We've had a number of guests joining us from Latin America to discuss their national systems over the past year. Before we get into anything about Javier Mille, tell us about the higher education system in Argentina. How does it compare to other systems in the region like Brazil or Colombia or Mexico? What's different? What's better and what's worse? Alex, the first thing to have in, in mind is that Argentina, in comparison to other uh, systems in, in the region, Latin America in particular, is that it's a for free system, and there's no entry examination. And that means that we have a very huge public system in comparison to the private system. In general, in Latin America, 50% of all students go to the private system, not in Argentina. In Argentina, the relation between public and private institution is 80% of students go to public ones. There are 132 universities, 60. 67 of them are public. They are mainly national institutions. This is that they are financed by the federal government. We have only six provincial institutions, which the main source of funding are the province itself. The private sector in relation to, for example, 
the case of Brazil, the non-profit of the profit is banned by law. There are no, no in a profit institutions. And that was from the very beginning. So Argentina was a kind of, of country where, as I said, private institutions are more tolerated than encouraged. That are the main differences between uh, what is Argentina that is prone to the development of the public sector in relation to the private sector. There's a culture of, of the state is the, to be the main provider. People trust in the state more right. than the, in, in private initiatives, no? And so that must make the role of private education quite different. In Chile, in Brazil, uh, people go to private universities because they can't get into public universities. In Argentina, it's free, uh, public spots are plentiful. So why do people go to private universities in Argentina? What's the attraction? That's right, because the public sector has something particular. Of course, we are speaking of the elite of the public sector because there are a lot of new public institutions where his policy has been put into question. But if we ask about, for example, the University of Buenos Aires, uh, Universidad Nacional de La Plata, uh, Universidad Nacional de Córdoba, uh, people go to the, the, the private sector mainly because of political matters. They have the idea that the, the private sector is more, I can find the, the, the word exactly, but give a better answer and better response to the demands of the market, for example. There are no strikes, for example. They know that if they go to the university, it's open. So that is the main reason. Because uh, as you say, uh, it's irrational to have a good product uh, and to pay for another, which you have one that is free. But uh, I, I think that the main, the main reason is, is that it's less conflictive in political terms. And of course, they, are, they react more rapidly to the demands of the market. You mentioned Universidad Buenos Aires. Now, that's a really unique institution, right? It's either the largest or the second largest uh, institution in the Americas. It's very close to the size of UNAM, so 300,000, 400,000 students. Why did this institution get so big? And what's its influence within the country's overall academic system? As you say, Alex, uh, uh, University of Buenos Aires has around, around because nobody knows exactly the, the, the number, but around 300,000 students that make it maybe the largest university in Latin America, together with the UNAM, no? the University uh, Universidad Nacional de Mexico. And the size of UBA or UBA, as we call it here in, in Argentina, can be explained by four main factors, I would say. First, as I said before, it's prestige. The second one, if because it charges no tuition. The third one, because it has no entry examination. And maybe the fourth is because it is located in a very populated area uh, in the capital city of Buenos Aires. To give you an idea, the capital city of Buenos Aires, if we add the neighbors that surround the capital city, there they live around 13 million people. So uh, that is one of the main reasons. On the other hand, I would say that the influence of the UBA in the system is real. It was the second university or the first one that was created after colonial time, after the wars of independence. And that was 1821. And my impression is that nowadays UBA is not what it used to be. 
although still influential, and mainly, mainly when it comes to the areas of natural and exact, exact science. There's a great competition if you go back in comparison to the private sector in social science. But if you want to study exact natural science, you have to go or go to the UVA. But the opening of new public institutions, mainly in the outskirts of Buenos Aires and during the 90s, and then some good research private institutions, although small, made an impact. And for me, now there's not such a thing as UBA or nothing. There's a real competition now. Okay, that's interesting. Now, you just mentioned the role of research. And I would say in general in Latin America, compared to North America, at least, the focus of universities is they're not as research focused, right? The focus is more on teaching. So what's the state of academic science in Argentina? Are, who are the stars? What are the bright spots? What does Argentina do well in, in academic science? First, historically, Argentina has invested very little in research and development. But this is aligned to what happened in the rest of Latin America, except for Brazil. Much of the research is done outside the university. There are organisms such as INTA is the Agricultural Technology Institute, works with some connection with the university. In general, the star of the system, if we speak about research, is medicine. Contribution of medicine is important. This is a tradition that comes from the mid-50s, and I find no big differences between the public sector and private sector in terms of research in the field of medicine. Of course, another important area in question of research is agricultural sciences. You know that Argentina is a big, huge player in the market of food that is natural. And in terms of the private sector, not only medicine, but in general, research that is related to the social sciences where there's no uh, need for a big and costly infrastructure or much money to do that. Because to give you a, an idea, public institutions rely on public money for doing research. Around 90, 95% of uh, the research is done in public universities with federal funds. And the private sector has little access to that kind of funds. That is natural that they concentrated on research in areas that are not so costly, so to speak. We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back. This podcast is brought to you by Higher Education Strategy Associates, a sector-specific consultancy based in Toronto, Canada. Among our many lines of work is program review and new program development. Looking to refresh some of your curricular options? Higher Education Strategy Associates can help with market research, evaluation of employer needs, competition analysis, and national and global reviews of curriculum trends by study field. Get in touch to find out how your institution can benefit. Email us at info at higheredstrategy.com. And we're back. Marcelo, what can you tell me about the politics of higher education in Argentina? I mean, you referenced it uh, a little bit earlier when you were talking about students deciding to go to a private university as, as something of a political decision. Until this year, for the last 20 years, since the financial collapse in 2002, Argentina has been led either by a mostly leftist Peronist party, and I know Peronism is not always a left uh, movement, 
led mostly by Cristina Fernandez and uh, generally rightist Juntos por el Cambio, led by Mauricio Macri, former president of Boca Juniors, which makes me very happy. What, if any, differences did these parties have with respect to higher education? Or does it not really matter uh, who's been in government? It's been the same policy no matter what. Yeah. In part, you're answering the question with what you say at, at the end of your question. But let me put things in a historical perspective to try to explain more accurately what, I'm, what I will say. In Argentina, there the was historically public dominance from the public sector. One of the main events that explain the dynamics that take place in the expansion of higher education in Argentina was the Córdoba reform. What was the Córdoba reform advocated for autonomy of the institution? And that is very important, the question of autonomy and self-self-governance. It was not a governmentally initiated reform, but a, a, a reaction by a, a part of society, punctually students and the middle class, and was against government and religious control over the university. So the word autonomy is very important because a lot of pressure that universities receive from governments are very difficult to transfer that into real measures. I give you a, an example of what happened during the reform in 1995, while the neoliberal presidency of Menem tried to pass a, a law where universities were able to charge tuition if so decided. Practically, non-university put into practice that. Only two or three. Because of cultural and historical reasons. So I would say that the, the difference that you can find between the presidency of Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner and Macri Although in the papers, in the letter, is big and huge, in fact, it's not so different because universities are reacting entities to that. Now, over the past couple of years, though, there's a new political movement, right, which is a third force, sometimes called an extreme right force, sometimes called libertarian, known as La Libertad Avanza which upended this political duopoly. It chose Javier Mille as their presidential candidate, and he swept to victory in an election in November 2023. What can you tell us about Mille, his party, and how they won such a sweeping presidential victory? You are right. Mille is the new president. Mille has, is not a, or has not been a politician in the formal meaning of the word, but rather an outsider who became part of the political scene in the last three years. In the sense, Mille has would say no political history. And he was elected uh, as president for one main reason. The people were upset with, tradi with traditional politicians. And the promises, the, 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 the promises of the, the traditional politicians never turned into reality. To, get, to give you an idea of the problem of Argentina, we are ending 2023 with 200% increase in, in prices. Inflation is tremendous. And poverty rates reaches 45% of the population. And that is unbearable for a, a country that was one during the, the beginning of the 20th century, one of the richest in the world. Of course, I'm speaking about economic growth, but not economic development. That are different things. In the case of Millet, now his main concentration during these weeks, at least since he took office, is to put forward a plan to try to get rid of inflation. So there are no main ideas about what he will do 
about education. His main concentration is in economics. And that is what people are asking for because the economic situation is really bad and it's hurting a lot of people. No, but, but so I guess my question is, though is he has made statements on the campaign trail about getting rid of a lot of ministries. And I, I believe the Ministry of Education was one of them. And I think he's okay. made comments. I don't know how serious about reducing subsidies to education and making public universities stand on their own two feet, so to speak. What's he actually said? What do people expect from him once the inflation, we'll leave the inflation stuff aside for a second, because I think that is important. But setting that aside, what do people expect of a Millet government in education? Since he arrived to power, Millet has moderated his discourse. That is the point. We don't have a very accurate information about what are his real intentions on education, and even less in relation to higher education. But I will try to get uh, some conclusions. As I said, some statement that he made before being elected president was, for example, to privatize public education. That means, for example, for higher education, the charging of tuition, the of tuition fees to students. At least that is what he considered a fair policy, because as he said, universities overuse by high-income students in relation to the neediest part of society. But then he said that he will not put this into practice in the short run. Having said this, I'm not sure if he will have enough room to do this because of what I said in before. There are cultural reasons that are very rigid barriers to trespass, to put into practice such a thing. And one factor, I, one factor here that I expect matters is that the president as I understand it, does not necessarily have direct power over funding for things like higher education. He would have to make deals with the Chamber of Deputies, and he does not have a majority there. Is that right? So he's going to have to cut deals. Exactly. But even he had to cut deals, but even people that are aligned uh, in economic terms with what he proposes are not aligned in terms of education. Even liberals uh, here in education. Historically, liberal presidents as Domingo Faltino Sarmiento, I'm speaking about the 19th century, sure. or Julio Argentino Roca, who were liberals, much in the way that Millets understand liberty or the freedom to act as, as people, were very supportive of public education. I guess that he, in that case, he will face hard resistance even from people that are aligned in questions of, as I said, economic and political questions. But in, in education here in Argentina, even liberals are pretty conservative. So I guess that he will face quite resistance about uh, education and try to privatize uh, education. And one thing more, he designated in the, now it's not the Ministry of Education, but it's the Secretary of Education because he reformed the cabinet. I know the, the name of the secretary of the education is Carlos Torrendel, and he's against, for example, of vouchers in education. And one of the of the points that Millet made during campaign was to finance the demand through vouchers. Right. But he chooses to go to the secretary of education, one person that is against vouchers. So it's a kind of mess, no? <laughs> right. Okay. So. Even if we expect his more radical proposals to be toned down, 
it still yeah. seems to me that Argentina's universities are in for a bit of a hard time, right? So you, as you said earlier, inflation's running over a hundred percent right now, I think. And in the first week he was in office, Millet devalued the peso by more than 50%. How's that going to affect universities? And this isn't the first time you've gone through this, right? Just It's only 20 years since you went through a similar kind of middle-class destroying economic crisis. What were the impacts of that last crisis on higher education? And how do you think this one might compare? Exactly. Things are pretty similar to what happened in during 2002, where there was a devaluation of the peso. I think that this will have a direct impact in the finance of universities. In general, universities are, as I said before, get public money, and that public money explains around 90% of what they get. Depends on the university, but on, on average, 90% of their, of their money comes from public sources. So we are expecting a cut down. The other question that is problematic too is money for research and development. Argentina spent around 0.6% of GDP. That is a very low percentage in relation to an industrialized country that spent 2% or 3%. But a country which their GDP is bigger, much bigger than from Argentina. And that would have an impact too. In general, what I, I see is that universities are very preoccupied because of this. And cutting money in education will be not only problematic, but I, I would say a big mistake because there are a lot of bureaucracy where you have ample room to cut down spendings. But education, I think that it will be suffering a lot during, at least during uh, 2004. I'm just thinking about with the possibility of a brain drain. Argentina's problems are not on the same magnitude as, as Venezuela's, but when we had Juan Carlos Navarro on our show a while ago, certainly that was a, a, a preoccupation of when you've had large bouts of inflation, you tend to see an outflow of talented people like professors. Is that likely, do you think? That's a possibility. Salaries in Argentina are, are not competitive at all. And mainly after the evaluation of the peso, to give you an idea, and this is real, I'm, <laughs> I'll tell you the truth, a, a good salary for a full-time professor with some kind of seniority is around in annual terms, uh, let me see, no more than $20,000 US dollars or maybe $15,000 a year. If you go to Chile or if you go to Brazil, you don't need to go neither to Canada or US to get much more money. If you go to the surrounding countries, the neighboring countries, you can get three or four times you get here in Argentina, no? Yeah, 20000 doesn't get you a good apartment in Palermo. So have you made a term of office runs through to the end of 2027? If we have you back on the show in four years time, what do you think the worst case scenario is for higher education in, in Argentina? And also what's the best case scenario? In economic and social terms, because that is, this is very important, no? The worst scenario would be that inflation continues at very high rates. And this for the countries, if inflation goes more than 20 or 30% a year, have in mind that this December, we have around 20% of inflation only in December. And we're expecting between 20 and 30% in January. Other question, if poverty increases, that would be devastating and very risky for, for Millet. And as a consequence, if the economy falls, we 
default into a dark hole, as I say. For higher education and the research system, it would be problematic, I say, if fiscal equilibrium, that is what Millet is wanting to reach, if that equilibrium is reached by reducing public spendings in both areas of education and research and, and development. Millet's to generate a mean to try to avoid this incentive for the private sector to invest. There's a lot of private money, but it's not in the formal circuit of the economy. It's, in, uh, it's not in the, in the banks. Uh, people uh, have their money invested, as I, as I say, under the mattresses. What, what is the idea? They do not want to spend the portion of the population that have money because taxes are very high. This is risky to invest. So that is the worst scenario. If they don't have answers, if they do not reach what he proposes to, to control inflation and poverty. And what's the best case scenario? So the best scenario would be if he understands that Argentina has a, not an economic problem, but a social one. And that deals with the lack of social development and inclusion. And he must put all his efforts to work things out in that area. So I guess that chances he will end uh, his four years for, because people are thinking that he, but maybe he will not be able to make it to 2026, the, the four years of the presidential mm -hmm. period. And mm -hmm. uh, if he succeeds in question of economic reason, I guess that he has uh, some chances to survive. No? no, Thank you very much, Marcelo. That's all the time we have for today, but thank you for being with us. Thank you, Alex. It was a pleasure uh, to meet you and have uh, this conversation about the, the future and the present of Argentina. And it just remains for me to thank our show's excellent producers, Tiffany McLennan and Sam Pufek, and you, our listeners, for tuning in. If you have any comments or suggestions for future podcasts, please drop us a line at podcast at higheredstrategy.com. Please join us next week when our guest will be Brian Rosenberg, president in residence, that's a real thing, at the Harvard Graduate School of Education and former president of McAllister University in Minnesota. And he'll be talking to us about his new book on change in higher education, which sports the fantastic title, Whatever It Is, I'm Against It. Bye for now. The World of Higher Education podcast is a Higher Education Strategy Associates production. Produced by Tiffany McLennan and Samantha Pufek. Hosted by Alex Usher. Music by T. Bless and the Professionals. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app.